Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello, and welcome. My guest this month is an actor equally at home on stage and screen. His theatre work includes the National Theatre's acclaimed production of The Barbershop Chronicles and the title role in Othello. On screen, he's probably most popularly known for Koji in ITV's hit sitcom, Kate and Koji. Oh, and he appeared in a Told by Idiot show in which 45 custard pies were thrown. Um, uh, welcome, Akori Chukwu. Thank you so much for that introduction and how lovely to see you and be here. Great to have you, uh, uh, Corey. It really is. Thank you so much. Now, we will, of course, come to the custard pies. Uh, we, we we can't do this chat without mentioning those. Now I've intrigued people. But I always start these chats by going, taking people right back to the beginning, because I'm always mm-hmm. intrigued by people's first kind of connection, particularly if they're an actor, to performing or theatre. Um, can you remember the first thing you saw or what you were taken to? Or was it at school? Or what What, what was your first engagement with theatre? Um well, my actual first engagement is more through television, to be honest with you, when I was young, watching, you know, whether it be The Goonies or yeah. Back to the Future, these kind of shows that were coming from America in the, the early 90s. And I was very much, you know, I think I was always taken by wanting to go on those kind of journeys that these characters were. Um, There's a whole array of... Um, t- films but there was no kind of um none of my family were in theater um or acting at all so maybe when I was about seven years old I was watching these kind of films and then it wasn't up till when I started at secondary school and my brother who's three years older than me um started getting into acting and drama so when he was asked by the English teacher to do the um nativity play that was coming up Actually, what did we do? No, it wasn't Nativity. It was um, Scrooge, actually. Ah, so I, he then said, oh, if you wanted to come along, come along. And I went, and I think it was like a Monday evening after school. I had no idea really about what we were going to do. But I do remember when we were doing the rehearsals and the games and the lines and such, I just suddenly felt this kind of... Um, intrigue in the games and purpose and when I was young I was quite quiet I didn't really express too much I kind of just listened a lot but I remember it was like one of the first times I was speaking and almost like in a weird way I had a reason to speak you know and (laughs) it was such a strange experience and I really felt like oh yeah I get what I'm saying and I know why I'm saying it and people are responding and then we're playing games and we're being tested and it was just like a whole kind of new experience for me and it kind of just lit me up a bit and getting on stage and interacting with I was at a Catholic all-boys school as well and it was kind of like I was suddenly engaging in a lesson with them not just listening to the board but engaging with them and having this kind of experience and it was funny it was new for all of us and I think from there I just found like um it was just a real wonderful thing to do and it just carried on from there really that's a really interesting way that you talk about that that about having a feeling a reason to speak that's a really interesting way of expressing it as you said you were maybe quieter but that you felt why I have a reason here that's quite a profound thing in a way yeah because um 
a lot of uh, my, if I go back, I went three primary schools and if I go back, my memory's a bit jotted about all of it, but equally, I remember myself just observing a lot. I was very much an observer. I had like loads of friends, like one-to-ones, yeah, interacting, but not really um, speaking out in class and engaging as much, but I did take a lot of it in. And equally in secondary school, it was like that. And this was my first year of secondary school when I started drama. And um, it was more like I would have these lines and, you know, I'll be always ready to say them with enthusiasm because I kind of just had a grasp on it instead of my own mind where I was maybe just observing and not knowing how to express. But these lines are almost giving me an experience of expressing yeah, so the English teacher was really cool as well, really enjoyed the way he was running the sessions and it was just really relaxed as well. Um, and so, yeah, when we'd done the play, I just remember this satisfaction of being part of something. And obviously I think everyone, well, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, get this sense of, ooh, it's me. I'm so important right now. <laughs> you know, weird thing that happens when people are clapping for you, you're thinking, yes, yeah. You know? I, 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 I can relate to that, Corey. I get that feeling a lot when I'm on stage. It's only when I go home and I realise I'm not very important at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which is good, yeah. which is good, as it should be. You mentioned those early films, and, and a bit like you, I didn't grow up in a theatre household or go to the mm -hmm. theatre very much, so my my introduction to acting was very much via movies and things. Yeah. Um, can you, when you were at secondary school, did you go on any trip to the theatre? Were you taken to see anything or...? No, um, you know, it was something I was discovering. I think my brother did, but well, the theater that I would have seen was more the local theater. So because my brother was um, also involved with the wonderful London Bubble Theater. Yeah, brilliant. There in Rotherhive. And so I used to go watch him do his shows. Um, so that was my kind of experience. And once again, it was just, you know, being surrounded by these actors who were young and, you know, older than me and so inspirational as well. And, you know, I did look at what my brother was doing. And I was really excited about it. And then, you know, I kind of went on to join the London Bubble Theatre. So it was much wow. these kind of um, community shows. So, yeah, after doing the school play, I then went to do um, some classes at the London Bubble. That was great. That was like the first time I was doing extracurricular activity, traveling down to rather hive doing these acting classes which was amazing and then after that I remember the young Vic used to do um youth theater over the summer yeah I've done yep. some uh, uh summer theater workshops with them as well so that's, that's brilliant it's, it's interesting sorry it's interesting when you talk about London bubble because actually I was at the London bubble space uh, a bit earlier in the year running a workshop just in that space and yeah. I think they were extraordinary bubble you know I know so many actors really? who did show and they had such skillful performers who could play music who could do comedy who yeah. could sing and so uh, they were ex cool. they were an extraordinary company yeah I think at that time it was Jonathan Pepperidge who ran it for quite a while um and trish lee who used to run the classes as well back in with the early 90s to about 2001 i think they were there maybe a bit later um but yeah i just remember those fantastic classes and i particularly remember one which was just hilarious i mean they set up an improvisation and it was like based on like say the bill and you know you've got the suspects in the room and then they give you this bag of objects and it's like now you have to um, this, tell the suspect why you think they did the crime and how they did it. And you put your hand in the bag and then the apple comes out. And you're like, okay, 
how am I going to do this? You know, and it's just, it was such intriguing way of that like, getting into theatre and it was very funny. And, you know, as a young person, you're just being tested in a way to create these uh, dramas. But, um, yeah. yeah. And also, I think, I think that thing, I mean, you know this when you worked with us. I mean, improvisation <laughs> is at the heart of everything we do at Told by Nidia. And I think as a performer and a young performer, when you get exposed to improvisation and, and get a taste for it, it's very exciting that you're you're not only saying words that someone's giving you, but you're being allowed to make it up and, and be creative. It's a, it's quite a, quite a liberating thing, I think. Quite liberating. Sometimes terrifying, I think. Yes, of course. Of course, yeah, yeah. Enter into improvisation. But, you know, my memories of, you know, when you kind of get into it, it's such a, um, a rewarding experience. And, you know, obviously working with your other um, Never Try This at Home, it was just an array. It was such an open space, the way that was run. I think um, it was one of my first experiences, like, outside of drama school, and, you know, working with, obviously, Tobin Idiot, you guys have, you know, wonderful work over the years, the decades. And it was just such a freeing experience to be in a room with professionals, such talented comedians. And it was the first time wow. surrounded by these, you well, know, Nash Downs, well, amazing, talented performers who were just well, so open. You were, a, you were a brilliant part of that. But you mentioned drama school. So at what point did you start to think, oh, maybe I could do this for a living? I, I could. Did you know about drama schools or how did that happen? I didn't. But I remember when I was in year nine at secondary school and I said to my, when I was choosing what I wanted to do for my last two years, and I said to the head of my year, I wanted to do acting. And he kind of went, hmm, I'm not quite sure. If that was the right <laughs> thing for me, and I remember, so he so he was he was right behind you, of course. <laughs> in some way, you know, maybe this was the fire that drove me even more. Because I remember, I remember to this day where I was on the stairwell, just right next to the dinner hall, and I said it to, and just the way he said it, and I thought, why are you saying that? It's just in the back of my head, and I said, I'm gonna do this. But I didn't do drama in my last two years, but I did go to college to do drama. And it was through college. I was like, yeah, I would like to go into drama school. And um, I didn't go straight the year after. I took a year out. And then it was during that year out, I was like, OK, I'm going to start trying to get into drama school. And it actually took me three times to get into drama school. Actually, it was on my third occasion because I couldn't get in the first two times. And I always auditioned for Mount View. And the second time I did RADA as well. I wasn't like choosing loads. I kind of wanted to go to Mount View. Um, so it was on the third occasion. And I had done some youth theatre along that um, journey. And on the third occasion, I got in. But what was interesting is that um, later on, I think, because beforehand, I used to speak with a sibling S. So I used to have kind of like a subtle speech impediment. And when I entered, um, they were saying that much of their decision was based on not knowing if I could work on and get rid of the sibling S. And I discovered that later. And I was like, wow, it's quite interesting. You know, that was what some of the decision was based on. But as soon as I was told that within three months of starting my training, I got rid of it by just doing the work. And it was kind of like, well, 
I understand that, but people do the work and can get rid of the sibling S. So then, so it was um, during college, I decided I wanted to, well, that year out, I decided I wanted to get into drama school. Two years later, I got into Mount View and um, began my training there at Mount View. And how did you find, how did you find Mount View? Um, so notably, they, at the time, it was musical theatre, but their acting course had gotten so much better. And such a range of um, skills taught there, acting, but with movement. And they did quite a bit of devising. So they train all around actors. Um, if I'm honest, um, drama school was a tricky experience for me. I think it was quite a different experience for me. Um, but I enjoyed when I was up doing the work. I wasn't really taken by um, too much of the discussion because it was a bit much. I've always enjoyed getting up and doing it and learning on the experience and so the first two years were cool I did pick up a lot you know I love doing um the Shakespeare particularly I also love doing restoration I really love ah, restoration actually interesting. I, I, I like the fact that it's serious but it's funny and I think that's what yeah. I really enjoyed about restoration that these characters take themselves so seriously and the timing and the um there's such a vibrance about it. It's so heightened but grounded at the same time. Yeah, I, that's, that, very, that's, that's very interesting you say that. And obviously it's an, maybe an obvious thing to say, but I do think about comedy a lot. It's very important to us at Tolbone. And I think yeah. what you say there is really important is, is actually mostly you should be very serious in, in, in any comedy. Mostly, those characters don't think anything's funny. They they're usually in a very serious situation, which which makes it funny. Um, what was your favourite parts to play at Mount View? So we also did. I remember in my third year, we did the Marat Saad. Um, oh wow! Wow, yeah. extraordinary play. And the head of um, the school at that time had taken on that project, and you know, so many different characters. And the way he approached it, he got us to read a book about. Um, illnesses like mental illnesses and then he would have us choose one for our character and then he would have us get up and he done this interesting improvisation excuse improvise, not exactly improvisation but a way of um getting into the lines and what he did whilst we were in this kind of had decided what our our character's illness was he would have another actor say the line to us and then we would say it so in a way, we're not thinking about the lines, but we're just trying to embody it. And it just took on a whole nother kind of um, level of embodiment, the words. Yeah. And with that, he just made all of us go through that. And it made us think about taking the time and letting the words fall in to our intention and then put it out. But it was like all for about, I think, the was it the whole year? It was half of the year that we're in that play. Wow. And, wow. Um, I really enjoyed that because for me, I had never played a character kind of, you know, who was Jacques, oh, oh the Rue, Jacques Rue, the name's gone for me, but a very mm. outspoken um, character who was a rabble rouser. Oh, and wow. I never okay. kind of played like a character. Like, I was like really freeing, like, oh, I'm on the course trouble. I'm really outspoken. And, you know, I really enjoyed like doing that um, kind of role. So that was a, interesting one and then um I think that was the most significant one in my third year that I really enjoyed yeah. 
Um, and then, and then, when you then left Akuri and you started sort of um, working in theatre, you know, I, I, it's funny. I'm sitting here talking to you just before I start our technical rehearsal at the New Vic Theatre for our new yes. production. Oh, and, um, yes, and, and you've obviously you've obviously worked here in, in around the world in eighty wow. days, and it's such a fantastic space. What did you feel about? acting in the round for those listeners who don't know the new victor is totally in the round i think it's really exciting and was that your first time in the round or do you acted in that configuration before it was my first time in the round it was actually like one of the first jobs after drama school and beautiful wonderful experience one of the best round stages in in terms of in the round i've ever been on um because yeah yeah it's amazing yeah but i think the acoustics the proximity to the audience the warmth of the space it was so amazing. And um, Around the World in 80 Days was a comedy. It was devised once again around so many talented comedic actors and actors um, and such a beautiful space, the New Vic. I think the New Vic as well, if I just say this, is one of the theatres that I think really still holds a community connection in the sense that I people totally agree. come there really have a relationship with the theatre. They have a history with the theatre. They love the theatre. And when I was there, it was such a warm, beautiful experience. All the staff there are amazing. Teresa who runs it now is amazing. I I totally agree, Corey. We did a a rehearsal last week for the Ages and Stages group who come uh, to... And they came to to watch our rehearsal. And you got a real feeling that it was their theatre. It was so lovely to hear them share their feelings about it so so no so then of course i i have to come to when you joined uh, the idiots for uh, uh um uh, never try this at home and um you know in some ways it was clearly uh, if i look back on it it was uh, uh, based around something that was before you were born this tv show tis was that was <laughs> yeah. important to, to me and my youth and, <laughs> and obviously was connected to birmingham where we we co-produced the show and to this day, I suppose it's probably the most anarchic show we've ever made. I mean, I, we we do like anarchy at the Idiots, but I remember I, I remember um, saying to uh, my, our designer Michael Vale, you remember, I said, I want the <laughs> yeah. in the first five minutes, I want there to be a huge custard pie fight uh, involving everybody. And my, Michael Vale went, "Isn't it better to do that at the end so we don't have yeah. to clear it off?" And I said, "No, no, I want a massive one at the beginning and a massive one at the end." <laughs> And um, and I just have oh. such amazing memories of all of you in this anarchy and these pies flying and and I we've been very lucky I think to to do amazing experiences with Tobin around the world in exotic places. Okay. But one experience that will I think will live with me forever was when we closed the theatre tent at the Latitude Festival. You remember? Yeah. Um, now of course it's not like the Rolling Stones closing Glastonbury. I'm not saying it's that, but I've never seen such an extraordinary sight as not only you pieing each other, but members of the audience joining you on stage to pie each other. Do you remember My that? God. <laughs> that was a bit, we didn't even realise that would happen, you know, because we've been in a theatre where everyone's like, oh, great, it's over. But everyone in Latitude just went crazy. And it was so fantastic. It was like, this is like, how it should have always been, almost. Exactly. You know? I we would I love think, for people to get up and pie us. Yeah. And I think because it was the end of the festival, everyone was kind of out of it in one way or the other. It, well, you're right. It was kind of never... It, it was the performance that I always wanted to see, which we couldn't quite achieve it in, inside the theatre. But yeah, you, yeah. Were br- you were brilliant in it. And, and you were so 
for it and very open as a performer. And I, I, I think that's really important. It's a very important quality to remain curious and, and open as a performer. Yeah. Is, is that something you think about or is it just a natural, it comes natural to you? Definitely. I always try to be open. And I think <clears throat> naturally I do like to be open because I do like the experience and I do like generally having trust in the company and you know anything I do I do because I love it and I just want to have that open trust but I think as well the company at that time you know it was so like you couldn't you could not be you had to be open in that kind of space because everyone was just you know up for it and having fun and the space was so it was just like such a fluid experience you know but it's interesting talking about kind of, you know, different experiences as an actor, because, mm. um, you know, I, 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 you've gone on, obviously, to do a lot of work on screen. And um, the, the, the sitcom, of course, that you've been doing for a while, that must have, you know, that was a big thing to step into, isn't it? I mean, you were, uh, you were taking over in the role, is that right, from Jimmy Akinbola? Um, um, how, how did that all happen and come about? Yeah, um... It was at a time I was going crazy because I was auditioning a lot. And, you know, you have that moment where you're like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> this audition came up and I was like, oh, another audition. I'm probably not going to get it. Okay, I'll go in and I'll meet um, Andy and, you know. So it came up that it was the second series of Kate and Koji. Jimmy Akinbola had gone on to do Fresh Prince in the U.S., so they were looking for another actor and um, to do this um, character of Koji, who's a asylum seeker. So I went in and I read with them and, you know, I had about, it was like, I had four days and there was like six scenes to like look at. And I was like, what? Yeah. So I was like drilling it every day, still thinking, oh, this is going to just go downhill anyway. I haven't even got <laughs> enough time. But I said, okay, I'm going to go in and... I was really doubtful, actually, and my agent was like, just go in and, you know, go and audition. I said, okay. And I went in, and I was reading the character, and it was kind of like one of those auditions where the director's just looking at you, you know, they're just staring at you, and you're thinking, <laughs> this is so bad. And every scene I read, they were like, great, wonderful. Okay, next scene. Great, wonderful. <laughs> And then I was like feeling so bad. I thought maybe I should ask some questions because maybe they think I'm not interested enough. So I said, like, hey, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? They're like, yeah, great. I was like, oh God, this is so bad. So anyway, got to the end, left. And I was like, oh, that was terrible. And then about four days later, my agent called up and was like, oh yeah, um, they're really considering you for the role. I was like, what? Are you serious? And then... <laughs> A few days after that, they're like, you got the role. And obviously I was like, yes, I smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, that's, but... that, that's a, it's a, it's a good lesson though, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've done auditions for something and I think it's gone really, really well, I think, yeah, yeah. I nailed that. And then I don't hear a word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and always times, the like, way. Yeah. Always the I think, way. Well, I wasn't quite sure. And then you do. And then it also, not only is it an extraordinary part for you, but you're then acting opposite Brenda Bleffen. I mean, at what point did you meet her? I mean, yeah. So it was quite a short because they had had to postpone it because of lockdown and such like that. So it was quite a tight schedule. So I think I got, offered it in a November and then they wanted to do some preliminary shooting in December 
October, then preliminary shooting in December, outdoor shooting. So I had a meal. I first actually met, met Blake Harrison and then we had another meal to meet Brenda because she was busy. I think she was um, shooting on Vera at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, <clears throat> they sat me, um, had a meal um, with Brenda just to chat with her and she's just lovely. I mean, she's such mm-hmm. a down to earth, warm hearted person, major talent, I mean, highly skilled. I mean, her comedy oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is fantastic and her just drama. She's just so seamless with it and she's such a person who gives so much to the work um so yeah and working with her was just amazing she's uh you know you can never see it coming she could be serious and just switch into comedy and just make you laugh on stage and the whole thing was just um such a marvelous experience to be filming once again doing live sitcom comedy in front of a live audience we don't do that really um anymore the americans do but british comedy doesn't get to do that as much no it's true i've i've done a few uh, much smaller parts than you were doing but over the years in the past I've, I've been a guest on various sitcoms and i used to love the live audience ones i i, I just thought it because it was almost a hybrid of theater and tv you know what i mean it was a, almost a mix exactly of- yeah and i think it was right and you know from when i read the script to be honest i didn't feel like i identified with the character so then going on to play it, I really was able to find so much. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, because Koji's character is quite down to earth. He's not trying to be funny. He's just funny because yeah. of the responses he has. And then bringing in a bit of um, vulnerability, I really enjoyed with that character. And then him being the support at times, there was such a dynamic to his character. And, you know, me and Brenda's or our characters will have a bit of a loggerhead here and there. So it was really nice to kind of be having this experience. And then being in a live audience, I remember the first day I was shooting, as soon as we got on the stage and we were rolling and at the first crowd laughter, it was such a surreal thing because I was like, it was like I was watching the comedy that I was yeah. in because you know that laughter is so like attached to um sitcom comedy so it's such yeah. a real experience and thinking I'm actually here on the stage doing a sitcom comedy because I've watched so many of these kind of styles of yeah no and to be in it must be surreal I also this is slightly left field but it is to do with performance but I I, I know or I, I think we chatted or I've seen on your CV or something but that you uh, have over the years trained or done martial arts is that right of some sort yeah um going back to um when i had that year out um because also along the times when i was younger watching a lot of movies i was also exposed to a lot of hong kong cinema yeah uh, Yeah, jackie chan's work and i remember my brothers who were older would stay up one Christmas when they were showing a lot of Jackie Chan films and my dad would be like, go to bed, get in bed. You know, you can't stay out late watching Jackie Chan at midnight. So they would set the recorder to record overnight. And my dad hated electricity being on, but he couldn't tell when the video was on. You know, even though it was a red light, he would look at it and he would just think, maybe it's supposed to be on, <laughs> you know. And then um, in the morning we would get up and I think we were watching this film called police story and I was just seeing this guy jump around move fast I didn't know what the story was about I just saw him bouncing around like this and I was like I would love to do that 
So it wasn't until later in life. I mean, I was watching Jackie Chan when I was about eight years old, but when I was about um, 18, 19, I decided I was going to start martial arts training and um, gymnastics. And I have a look back. I just love um, the, there's so much to it, just the health, the philosophy yeah yeah the discipline experience and it is an expression as well i consistently go back to it just for expression in the park i'll be back flipping or doing (laughs) have you have you have you ever had to use it in any uh work any film tv or anything have you got to do that yet um in 80 days when i played battle card the um yes of course i was tumbling down i was going from one bump to the other doing the backflip somersault cartwheels you were yeah i was doing i done the splits on the stage mike hugo another wonderful comedy actor had to try and mimic me but he done it funnily so great (laughs) like you know trying to (laughs) me doing the splits um and then i did an episode i done i played the ninja pirate in a Regent's Park, Peter Pan. And I had two swords. I ran on stage doing an aerial with two swords in my hand. I was fighting the twins with a sword. Yes. Now, Corey, it's been lovely chatting. I always end in the same way. I'm going to ask you seven quick fire questions. Okay. You just have to say your first answer. This is quite uh, apt given our last bit of conversation. Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee? Jackie Chan, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Some Master ma- ma- mastermind or pointless? Mastermind. Whitney Houston or Beyonce? Whitney Houston. Uh, yoga or Pilates? <sighs> yoga. If you had to do uh, another job, you've got to choose between two. Jockey or escapologist? <laughs> Jockey. <laughs> Jockey, okay. Trapeze or high wire? High wire. L.A. or New York? New York. It's been so lovely chatting to you. Let's not leave it so long. And good luck with everything in showbiz, okay? Definitely, Paul. Lovely to see you and hope to see you soon. Take care, mate. All the best. Cheers. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this idiot podcast, please spread the word.